September is Suicide Prevention Month. Do you know the signs? Welcome back to the Unique on Purpose podcast, helping you find victory in how God has uniquely created you. I am your host, Rachel Gentleman, just a regular gal trying to help people know they are called to be victors in Christ Jesus. And today on episode 54, my friend Dave Ebert, all the way in Chicago, Illinois, shares with us his story of what it was like growing up having suicidal thoughts and how God completely flipped the switch and how he is using comedy to help prevent suicide in others. And make sure you stick around for after the podcast as I give you more information about my upcoming book, The Real War on Women. Welcome back to the Unique on a Purpose podcast, and we are headed all the way down to Illinois to visit Dave Ebert. Dave is a husband, children's pastor, podcaster of the show Gifts for Glory Ministries. And Dave, you also have a ministry called Well-Versed Comedy, an improv group. Dave, I feel like we have a lot in common. We're, we're kindred spirits <laughs> just okay. for the fact that, uh, yes, I have a podcast, but I was also a children's pastor for a long time, and I was huge into theater growing up like that was what I was actually going to do when I graduated high school I was going to go into theater and God called me to ministry instead and so I went a completely different direction but uh, tell me a little bit about yourself and then we'll we'll go into why you're here today Oh, absolutely. Um, as you mentioned, uh, I'm a husband first, and, uh, and I take that seriously because uh, being a spouse, that's your first ministry is your marriage. Right. Uh, because it filters into everything else. Because mm-hmm. if, you're, if your marriage isn't right, then you, you're, you're missing out as a parent, you're missing out in everything else. So husband is first, uh, uh, and, and it's uh, being, you know, um, that's the, the most important ministry. And um, I do comedy uh, as a way to bring people together through improv, also improv training. My wife and I are co-children's pastors, and we love uh, just building up and pouring into the the new generation and uh, creating, or not creating, but uh, encouraging new leaders because, you know, it's not up to us. It's up to God to create the new leaders. The the podcast is uh, all about sharing different testimonies of how people have found God and uh, and are serving him using their gifts for his glory. Mm-hmm. Well, later on in the show, I want you to tell me about your well-versed comedy, because for me personally, and you can disagree with me if you want, but I think that improv, learning improv skills, everybody should know. I just think mm-hmm. that it is one of those skills. Like we sometimes we look at improv as something fun, which it is. Improv is tons of fun, but it's also a skill. And I can personally say that the improv skills that I learned as a teenager have helped me all throughout my adult years. And I think everybody can benefit from learning improv. But again, we'll go into that later. Uh, suicide or excuse me. September is Suicide Prevention Month, and really that's why you're here. You're big into comedy, you're big into making people laugh and encouraging others, but there's there's this dark side from your past that you tried to cover with your comedy. I read that you had said, I used comedy to hide who I really was. And so I, I kind of want to go into that. There's a backstory, so go ahead and share that with me. Sure. So when I was a very young uh, uh, kid, I 
I loved entertaining my parents. I loved uh, their hearing their laughter, hearing their friends' laughter. So whenever they came over, I was always the center of attention. Mm-hmm. And uh, so that was, you know, it came naturally and it came, you know, from a pure heart and pure motives. But as I got into high school, I, uh, for a variety of reasons, uh, my father was, uh, was in Vietnam and because of that, he, uh, contracted all the side effects of the agent orange chemical, Oh, which, yeah. So he went from a healthy 30 year old to fully disabled by 40. Um, so that's right in the midst of me, you know, growing up and, you know, my, you know, we didn't have a, an anchor in faith. We would profess and say, yeah, we're Christian. We believe, but we didn't have an active faith that we could rely on. Mm-hmm. The, the natural butting of heads that happens between a father and son is, as the son grows on top of not having an anchor of faith and his uh, rapidly declining health and him not being able to handle it well. I didn't handle it well. Uh, so for a variety of reasons, you know, that being the biggest, I entered into a really deep depression in high school mm-hmm. uh, to the point where uh, weekly, if not daily, I was battling with the thought of taking my own life. And the whole time I knew that something was wrong. I knew that I shouldn't feel that way. And I knew that it would be, you know, it, it was kind of an embarrassment. Like, why can't I fix myself? Why can't I get myself out of this? And so while I was wrestling with that, I didn't want anyone else to know. Mm. So I I continued to use the comedy as a mask to kind of keep everybody at arm's length. Mm -hmm. And um, it was also a way to justify my own existence. If I was able to entertain and and, uh, give people laughter and opportunity to laugh, then I knew that they weren't feeling the same way I was. So by offering that benefit to the world, that was my one thing that I could you know, tell the voices in my head, hey, look, I've done something good, so I can stick around a little bit longer. And um, So it's like it almost gave you a sense of self-worth? Right. Okay. If I could, if I was able to make somebody else feel good, give them an opportunity to laugh, even if it's at my own expense, mm-hmm. then I had some worth and then I had something to argue against that voice that was, you know, lying to me and telling me that I had no worth, that I was worthless, I was easily replaceable, that uh, if I took, you know, took that final step, that it would be better for everybody. Mm-hmm. But if I had, had an opportunity to make somebody's life a little bit better, then I'd say, no, look, that happened because I was here, and that was the, the one thing I clung to, at least, you know, for a few days or a week at a time. And it was just a constant of, you know, still trying to be a center of attention, all to kind of make sure nobody knew what I was feeling and also to make sure that nobody else felt what I was feeling. And this lasted through high school, college, after college, through one failed marriage and on into my early 30s. Mm-hmm. You know, all through all out that, you know, looking back, I can see where God had his hand on me. Mm-hmm. Uh, he, he was he protecting me from taking that step where I would curse myself and be upset with myself, calling myself uh, weak and cowardly for not taking that, that final step. But I look back and realize, no, that was that still small voice that was just encouraging me to take that next step, to take that next day mm-hmm. and not you know take that final plunge, whatever it was. Because the whole time I was just trying to find a way to get out and not leave a mess, not leave 
uh, any shame behind you, make it look like an accident or whatever. So it was, you know, I wanted to, it was just a constant battle. Like you said, it was darkness. It was lie after lie after lie after lie. I just thank God that he was there with me, even though I didn't appreciate it and I didn't recognize it. And uh, many times I got mad at God because I was like, hey, just leave me alone and let me do what I want to do. Right. Which I, I think is a common experience is, <laughs> you know, we as his children are like, dad, leave me alone. I want to do it my way. Mm-hmm. And there was one night in particular in, uh, I think it was, like early 2011, maybe mid-2011, I was uh, driving home from work. I was working a late-night shift at an answering service. And I, uh, and this was when I was uh, living in, in West Virginia. And as I was uh, driving home, there's a mountain that I cross over, and it's got a very sharp right, right-handed curve. And if you don't take the curve safely, you can easily go off the uh, the side and down the mountain into a really deep ravine. And it was late at night, nobody else on the road, and I just stopped there and I said, God, if you don't want me to do this, do something. Wait, so you were it, thinking about taking your own life at that moment? Yeah. Okay. I, it was just a culmination of just feeling like I'm not going anywhere, I'm not doing anything. And, and are you remarried? I'm sorry to interrupt. Are you remarried at this point or no? Oh, no. Uh, no. This was after my uh, failed marriage. Okay. Uh, I, I got married in 2006 in August, mm-hmm. and uh, we filed for divorce the day after Christmas the same year. Oh, geez. So it, it didn't last four months. I was already uh, moved out and everything. and So, yeah, that was very rough. It was a situation where there were a million red flags, but I was determined to be married because I was kind of trying to prove something like that. I do have value that somebody can love me. Mm-hmm. And um, so I wasn't in a healthy place. She wasn't in a healthy place because she was just coming out of her first marriage when we got together. Okay. You know, we weren't living for the Lord. So she said that uh, that she had a baby on the way. And so I was like, well, well, let's get married before uh, before the baby comes. Mm-hmm. Uh, she, she lost the baby over the course of that summer. Mm. And uh, it led to you know fighting and this, that, and the other thing. But I was committed, and I said, well, we still love each other. We're still wanting to do this. Let's not change the date. Let's go ahead and get married. And, you know, just a lot of bad judgment. And mm-hmm. uh, like I said, a lot of red flags we ignored. Uh, we divorced, or filed for divorce the day after Christmas. And in again, the depression and the sense of humor. My post on, on MySpace, you know, telling you how long ago. This oh my God! I just say that was a long time ago. <laughs> <laughs> I said uh, many guys got a PlayStation Two for Christmas. I got a divorce. You know, just mm-hmm. trying to be comical with it. And, yeah. Uh, but but it was devastating because it, that was just yet another reminder of or uh, another way for the enemy, you know, Satan to get in my ear and say, nobody can love you. Nobody can save you. The one person that promised to love you forever couldn't live with you for four months. Mm. So that failed marriage happened in 2006. uh, And then here we are in 2011. I'm still wrestling, still fighting. So I'm on this mountain uh, ready to, you know, floor it and just make it look like I fell asleep. Mm. And I said, God, God, if if there's anything, you know, if you don't want me to do this, do something. 
if you look on a like a Pure Flix movie or a Hallmark movie, you know, in, in those movies, the sky opens up, the angels sing, and there's a light <laughs> shining down. Yeah. And it's almost like the dove descending. Mm-hmm. And, uh, not in this moment. This was a moment where God did the opposite. I felt like he pulled away even further. Hmm. And I got mad. And I went home mad, but I went home. And it was just a moment where God, again, laid himself down for me to save me because he knew in that moment I needed I needed to be mad. So I would go home. So wait, and, wait, 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 wait. Uh, so that's what made you not commit suicide is that you were mad? <laughs> right. I was mad. And it, it was almost like out of spite, uh, <laughs> I decided not to do it. Yeah. I decided, all right, fine. And I said some choice words to God mm-hmm. that night, but mm-hmm. it, again, it was him laying himself down for me the way that Jesus did. Mm-hmm. He laid himself down knowing that his son needed just to be mad and to vent and to get it out, mm-hmm. but he would still go home and he would still stay around. So as someone and, who really didn't grow up, I mean, yeah, you believed in God, but really didn't grow up in the faith. What made you cry out to God to even think to do that? I was desperate. I wanted okay. to know that there was something there mm. that that I wasn't a mistake, that I wasn't an accident, that there's a reason that I'm going through this. And I wanted God to just sit down in the church next to me and just, like, tell me. But sometimes it's not how God works. For some people, that that's their story. But for me, yeah. God just needed me to be upset at him mm-hmm. so that I would go home, mm-hmm. cry myself to sleep, and wake up the next day. Mm-hmm. And that's the uniqueness of the story is that God works how we need. He doesn't work the same way for everybody because then it would become a formula instead of a relationship. Mm. You know, the, and again, if this was a movie, the next day I'd wake up and realize all this and I would dedicate my life to the Lord. But it was still another year and a half till early 2013 when I finally woke up and realized, okay, I need... And again, it was like, this was more of a a spiritual mountaintop. I was still wrestling with the thought of suicide, but it also warmed me up to the idea of uh, pursuing a a real relationship with God. And so I was on a spiritual mountaintop where I could go left and take my life, or I could go right and I could uh, give my life. Mm -hmm. And so as I'm wrestling with that idea, I'm walking to work one Saturday morning, and there are these two kids from a local Bible college out there, looking for somebody to witness to, somebody to uh, hand out uh, one of those uh, gospel tracts. Mm-hmm. There's no reason for them to be there because it's a very low population area. It was a Saturday morning. There was not going to be much of anybody there. But I believe it's God's final slap across the back of the head, like, hey, wake up, it's time. Mm-hmm. Because they were there, I believe they were there specifically to meet me just as that final reminder. Uh, I blew them off. I said, no, no, I'm fine. Yeah, I'm a Christian. I don't need prayer. I actually need to get to work because I'm late. So I went to work, and then after I got home, I realized, okay, there's a reason they were there. Mm -hmm. And that's when I started to uh, really dive into the Bible. I opened up, uh, I had a a King James Bible that I bought on clearance at a discount store. So I started reading that. I started reading uh, Rick Warren's Purpose Driven Life which I had had for probably five or six years at that point, just never opened. Mm-hmm. And so I'm reading the uh, King James Version, which is no small task. Right. And in, 
in, in my Christian infancy, I just assumed that the Bible was a chronological story. Mm. So I started reading front to back, and I got all the way to uh, Deuteronomy and, and Numbers, and I was like, wow, this is hard. Um, <laughs> yes. So I eventually <laughs> I got to, I switched over to New Living Translation. Mm-hmm. But you know, in, in reading the Bible and reading Purpose Driven Life, I realized, you know, comedy and entertaining people when it comes from a pure heart is what God designed me to do. And that's what he revealed to me is that he wanted me to, to share laughter, to share those moments with people, but not as a way to hide what I was going through, but as a way, way to reveal who he is and mm-hmm. what he wants for, for people. Mm-hmm. And so, so as uh, you're getting to a, know God in a way, you're getting to know yourself and how you were uniquely created. Yeah, absolutely. that's really cool. It was like, you don't have to change what you're doing. You just have to change why you're doing it. Mm. And in changing the why I was doing it, I also changed the how. Because, mm-hmm. you, know, you know, not being in a relationship with the Lord, there was very little that was off the table as far as what I could joke about. Because mm-hmm. I was doing pro wrestling at the time, and I would, uh, uh, you know, be in the locker room. And there is such a thing as locker room humor, which, you know, very often I just... I remember a joke or a comment or something that was funny back then, and I realized, wow, I need to repent of even remembering that joke. (laughs) Right. So you're reading uh, the Bible. What happens next? Like you're you're getting to know God. You're getting to know yourself. I mean, is this like a next step of going to a church? What's going on here? What's interesting is once I started doing that, pursuing the Lord. I wanted to get plugged into a church, mm-hmm. and uh, I was living in Beckley, West Virginia, and I uh, every time I tried to get to the church, there was something that happened, whether it was the wrong time was published on their website, and I got there after church had already started, or something would happen. Mm-hmm. Uh, I would oversleep, and I think, looking back, it was just God saying, well, I don't want you here in West Virginia. And, and he wanted me to move back here to Chicago where I'm at now. Mm-hmm. And what it took was my sister, who she doesn't have a, a relationship with the Lord. She's she's floated between atheist and agnostic. So she's somebody that you know I pray for and hope that one day you know she will see because she was crucial in my ability to move. Because as I was talking to her and my mom, uh, she offered a place to stay if I wanted to come up to Chicago and start over. Mm-hmm. And I was like, are you sure? She said, yeah. So six weeks later, I pack up uh, everything that I own in my truck and uh, drive from uh, West Virginia up to Chicago and start over on her couch. You know, within uh, three to four months, I met somebody online through Craigslist, of all places, and uh, we started uh, what's now Wellverse Comedy. Wait, 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 wait. Okay, you can't just flippantly say that. You met somebody on Craigslist to start a comedy show? Like, how does that work? Well, it, uh, there's a section of Craigslist that's called Gigs. Oh, okay. And uh, uh, a long time ago, it was, you know, it was, everything was free and you could post whatever. And I saw somebody posted looking for a Christian producer because he wanted to make Christian films and, and short films and things. And a producer is basically somebody that fronts the money for a production mm-hmm. in, you know, in a very basic terms. Yeah. And I, I emailed him through Craigslist and said, hey, I can't 
you know, I can't be a producer because I don't have anything to produce with. Mm-hmm. But I do want to connect and possibly you know, be somebody that, that works with you as far as acting or, or performing. Mm-hmm. Um, so I sent him that email. I didn't hear from him for over a month. So a month later, I hear from him because uh, his dad had passed and they had a funeral and everything. And we start talking. We talk about, well, what about Christian improv? You know, because we'd never heard of it. Yeah. So we assume that, you know, in our hubris, that, that we were going to corner the market with Christian improv, <laughs> um, which surprisingly, there are there are several teams. It's yes. not overwhelmingly, uh, but there are others. Mm-hmm. But we met uh, one day uh, at a coffee shop off of uh, the uh, the red line in Chicago, one of the, uh, the L trains. Mm-hmm. And uh, so I'm 6'2". Around 400 pounds, you know, I'm a large, you know, large guy. He's five six and, and skinny, so it was a total Laurel and Hardy yeah. connection immediately. Mm-hmm. So we we said, let's do this. We recruited, we posted on Craigslist, and we posted on other websites looking for fellow Christians to improvise with. And uh, again, in our hubris, we thought we were the only one. So we thought, hey, what if we made made a pun and we went with improv? Mm. Improv with with capital H, yeah. And we started putting the Facebook page together, the website together. And all of a sudden, I find that, oh, there's a improv in Dallas. Oh, no. So I contact us and said, hey, by the way, we were just starting this team and just happened to find your page. Uh, so we're different. We're, what do you think about us just doing improv Chicago? Mm-hmm. And they'd spent over a decade building their name, and they're like, no, nah, that's probably not going to work. <laughs> Come up with your own thing. Yeah. So we thought, oh, wow, he's really passive aggressive. We'll, we'll do our own thing. Mm-hmm. Uh, but fast forward uh eight years and he's one of my uh, better friends now mm. uh, the guy that uh, was running that group in dallas so it's funny how god brings everything together um but we went from improv to ha 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 men mm-hmm. which was ha 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 and amen pushed together oh and unfortunately nobody got the joke or got yeah. the uh, um they're like are you ha 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 men or ha 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 men mm-hmm and so we thought, well, we'll drop one of the ha's, we'll just go ha-ha men. And still the emphasis was on men. So when we became me and and uh, four other women, everyone was asking, well, how can you be ha-ha men if you're mostly women? So we changed the name finally in 2019 to Verse Comedy, uh, which is still a play on words because we're well-versed mm-hmm. in scripture well-versed in the uh, the ins and outs of comedy. So I got my double entendre. We got a better brand. And uh, we've uh, had a lot of uh, a lot of fun in, in nine years. So you you move back to Chicago and then just like suddenly out of nowhere, you're you find this guy on Craigslist and you just you start this comedy, this comedy thing. Like, where are you at in your relationship with Jesus at this point? Because you are just like new Christian. And I mean, what did your, 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 your friend think of someone who's wanting to partner with him, but yet you have just come to the Lord. I mean, what's going on here? Okay. So that's uh, another thing about what God was doing. Mm -hmm. So when I was at the radio station in uh, West Virginia, I started off as a DJ on their big powerhouse country station. uh, And uh, I was doing middays, which is, uh, you know, 10 to three, 
you know, that shift on the radio. So it, it was a primetime gig. It was awesome. It was, you know, up. But about a week and a half into it, the general manager kind of had a, a thing for this uh, this lady uh, DJ, and he moved her into that spot and demoted me to the AM station. Mm. So I went from a 100,000-watt uh, powerhouse to about a 500-watt local uh, gospel station. Oh. Which, yeah. So the, the demotion was actually God spending two years just watering seeds that had been long dormant in me because every day I'm hearing gospel messages and hearing gospel music, focus on the family shows, things mm -hmm. like that. So without even being in church for those two years, I was getting fed even though I didn't realize it. Mm -hmm. So once I turn that switch and I'm reading the Bible, reading Purpose Driven Life, and I get to Chicago, I find a church and I'm plugged in. I mean, it, it was it was a very quick learning curve in yeah. many ways. I mean, mm -hmm. so... You had been discipled you know, before you really even came to Christ in a way. Right, exactly, exactly. I, I already had like a cache of knowledge. Now I had a, you know an outlet to kind of pour it into. Mm -hmm. So my church was very supportive of the comedy. They let me uh, rehearse there for free. I didn't have to rent a space. Uh, we could even do shows once a month. Not for tickets, but just like, you know, free admission and, you know, took a free will offering for different charities each month. Mm -hmm. But, uh, you know, when I came up here and started over, most of the people that I was friends with or had a relationship with in West Virginia, they just kind of went away. It, um, not like intentional, like, oh, you're a Christian now, we're leaving. It was just like, I was 900 miles away, there's really no reason to keep a, a full relationship because I was no longer wrestling. I was no longer traveling the roads with the, with those guys. Mm -hmm. So it was, it was a complete start over. I was plugged into a new church, making friends there. Uh, the guy that I met through Craigslist, he was a solid Christian who uh, attended movie church in Chicago. Uh, so it was, it was literally a clean slate start uh, when I got here. And, uh, which was a blessing. I didn't have any any anchors or ties to the previous life that would have tripped me up. So God wiped the slate clean. So you, you're doing this clean slate. Are there any inklings of wanting to take your own life? Or is that just completely gone now that you've given your heart to Jesus? For many, uh, for the first couple of years, it was, it was completely turned off. Mm -hmm. And it was like... It, it was like, now I had a purpose, I had a reason, I had something that was unquestionable. So that muted all those voices for a long time. Mm -hmm. And um, in, in the way I explain it now, it's like there are times now where I can have a bad week or something goes wrong or whatever, and I start to kind of spiral, and it's like the enemy is plucking at the scars and making them tender again. So mm -hmm. it's like reminding me of where I was. Yeah. And if I stay too long in that place, then I can go deeper and deeper. But if, if I catch myself or if my wife helps catch me uh, from going down those paths, I turn back and literally do that U-turn and go back to God again. Mm -hmm. Because it's not the same depth or darkness that I experienced, but it's, it's like smokescreen. It's... Uh, you know, the, the faint reminder of what I've been through, it's almost like, you know, that part of my life was amputated, 
but you get those phantom feelings and the, and you feel like the pain and the scars. Okay. And you start to think about it. And I think that's, in many ways, it's kind of like the thorn in the flesh that Paul had. Mm-hmm. It's that reminder to keep me humble and also to keep me sensitive. Yeah. That, you know, I'm still, I still have some vulnerability there. And I know that a lot of people that when they turn their life to Christ immediately, that depression and that feeling is gone forever. Mm-hmm. And again, just like the story when I was on that in my truck on a, on a cliff, God works in my life differently than he works in other people's lives. So what he's doing in my life doesn't mean that I'm any less saved than the person that flipped the switch and never went back. Mm-hmm. And it doesn't devalue what I'm going through because I have those moments where I'm reminded and kind of re-experienced to a smaller extent that previous pain. Mm-hmm. It's just that that's how God is working in my life. And I know that I will be completely delivered and beyond that eventually, whether it's on this side or eternity or the other, I know that I will be. And and again, it's not like it's a daily thing or even a weekly thing. It's you know, once a month, maybe once every few months, there'll be something that messes up or I'll mess up or I'll miss something or forget something. And then that's when the enemy comes to attack and, and it, you know, just plucks those scars and makes them tender again. Mm-hmm. How then did you move into, one, meeting your wife and then becoming a pastor? So funny story, you know, I like to tell it this way because it sounds scandalous, but <laughs> she, was, uh, uh, she was dating a friend of mine in my former church mm-hmm. uh, when we met, and we ended up dating um, about eight months after they broke up. Mm-hmm. I kind of like to leave people on like I stole her from him, but you know, they, they dated, it didn't work out, and... I saw her at our church uh, volunteering for an event because she was, uh, she attended a different church at the time. So I thought that they were getting back together. So I friended her on Facebook. I'm like, hey, so I noticed you're helping uh, so-and-so with uh, the event. Uh, are you guys getting back together? She's like, no, I don't think so. Maybe someday. So I kept talking and trying to, you know, intervene and trying to, you know, help my boy out, you know, get, you know, get them back together. <laughs> But he, he was like, he was ready to move on. She was ready to move on. Mm-hmm. And uh, so I was like, well, I enjoy talking to her. So I started to kind of, you know, test the waters. Mm-hmm. And uh, every time I test the water, she goes, Dave, you're flirting again. <laughs> and I'm like, I know I can't help it. I'm a Libra. Because Libra is the hopeless romantic. Okay. Uh, which, I, as a Christian, I don't believe in those signs. You but know, you're making stuff, a joke. It, you know, that's who you yeah, are. Yeah. You're making a joke. Exactly. So uh, we kept talking and talking. So I won tickets to a concert, which is third, which had Third Day and Skillet. And it was uh, through k Perfect date night. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> so, yeah, great way to get to know each other with loud music. So I invite, so I won four tickets. I saved one for my sister. Uh, the guy that I met through Craigslist, who is now my, you know, my best friend, invited him and then I invited her. Mm-hmm. When I invited her, she goes, oh, I assume the whole crew is going, you know, thinking like there's going to be a group of like six or eight people. Mm-hmm. I was like, no, it's just going to be me, maybe my sister and, and Ryan. She goes, oh, okay. So on her side, she realized that what I was doing is asking her out. Oh. We get to the concert. It's a concert. I, I'm not able to really have a conversation while I'm trying to enjoy the concert and the music. So she ends up talking to him the entire concert. Mm-hmm. 
I'm like, wait a minute, this is not how it's supposed to be. She's supposed to be with me. Why is she talking to him? <laughs> I walk her to uh, her train after the concert, and uh, when we get down to the train, as soon as the doors open, she just darts. Oh, no. And I'm like, wait a minute. What, what, what? So I did the lamest thing you could ever do. I said, what, no hug? Uh-huh. So she, so she jumps back off the train, gives me the side bro hug with the two pats. Yeah. And then jumps back out of the train. Uh-huh. So I walk, so I walk back to my train thinking, like, what's this happened? Yeah. And it wasn't until we started talking in, uh, later that weekend, I started kind of talking and making kind of these declarative statements that were very similar to the closing speech in Courageous. Mm-hmm. You know, when... Um, Alexander's character is saying, who will lead his family, who will lead his son? And he said, I will, I will. And so there's there's some things that I was saying that resonated with her that reminded her of that. And in that moment, God revealed to her, like, that's your husband. Mm. And she's like, oh, crap. (laughs) (laughs) Um, So the the concert retroactively became our first date. Our first official date, knowing that it was a date, was at a friend's wedding uh, the following uh, two weeks later. Mm-hmm. So it, it was really funny. I went from, you know, I was way ahead and like, I really like her when I started to get to know her. And then once God showed her, like, this is your husband, mm-hmm. she went like 10 miles ahead of me. She was the first one to say, I love you. I was like, oh, ooh, wow. Uh, she, so she passed me and I wasn't even ready for that. Right, like, right. Uh, and I think the first time I said it to her was in a Denny's parking lot a week later. Oh, so romantic. <laughs> oh, yeah. <laughs> sounds perfect, though. It sounds, <laughs> sounds like you. And so you have gone from just depressed, divorcee radio DJ to you're doing gospel radio now, learning more about Jesus, finally getting into the word. You move back to Chicago. You're now living your life for Jesus, you start this comedy club, you meet your wife, you get married, and now you have this well-versed comedy, and do you feel as though you are, in a sense, using that as a tool for suicide prevention? I mean, you're, you're trying to make people laugh. I, I think it's uh, very much along those lines, because it, as often as we can, as appropriate, is I'll share my testimony about why we're doing clean comedy. We don't do Bible comedy so much because when you're doing improv, you can stumble and you can get into heresy and just disrespecting the word. And I don't ever want to do that. So we just do clean comedy that's, you know, that's universally funny for everybody. And very often I'll use that as a platform to share my testimony about why we do it. So, yeah, it's definitely about suicide prevention. It's about the truth uh, that we're meant to be together, we're meant to fellowship and most importantly fellowship with the Lord. Mm-hmm. And it's all, and that's what our, you know, our goal is, is just to bring people together because when you're together and you're united or at least in community, it's very hard for thoughts of suicide, thoughts of depression to really seep in because like just naturally you've got this wall of protection around you because you're with people. Mm-hmm. And, and, you know, the, the Bible talks about the, uh, the enemy is like a roaming lion looking for something to devour. Mm-hmm. It's very hard for a lion to devour an entire pack. The lion will devour the one sickly one hanging by itself. But if you have a group together, it, the enemy is very, 
is really weak and can't take the entire pack on just by sheer number. Mm -hmm. And so that's what uh, comedy can do is, because when you get a group of people together in a room, no matter how distant they are when they entered the room, the second they laugh together, there's like a bond that's created because Mm. they've all admitted something about themselves. Okay. They've admitted that, I agree, that's funny. Mm-hmm. And when you get 500 people to agree on something, now they're connected. And now they're also ready to hear some truth, hear something that maybe they weren't ready to hear 10 minutes before they walked in the room. Yeah, That's why I love doing comedy as a way to, to just point people to the foot of the cross and say, hey, God gave us laughter as a gift because he knew things would be tough. Yeah, You can't tell me that... 13 men walking the deserts of Israel didn't have moments of laughter and levity. Right. You just look at look at the, the adoration they had for Jesus. Mm-hmm. You know, obviously, Judas Iscariot is the exception. Mm-hmm. But they had an adoration. That doesn't happen if he's just a strict rabbi teaching down down the middle and, and being very stern. There had to be moments of levity. There had to be moments where they joked and, and teased one another, mm-hmm. uh, which is why I love... Uh, Jonathan Rumi's portrayal of Jesus in The Chosen. Yeah. He looks like what I imagine Jesus was like. Mm-hmm. You know, funny, snarky, but also full of love, grace, mercy. And that's who I think Jesus is. And that's who, that's why I think that comedy is such a great gift because it can bring people together. It can heal. It can, it can show you that there's hope. Because let's think about it. When you have a really good laugh, like a good belly laugh, you tend to lean back and lift your head up. And it's like you're lifting your head up to where your hope comes from. Mm. Because your eyes now are focused on the things above and not the things below. Mm-hmm. Because you're you're laughing, you're letting loose, and you're looking up. And you see, okay, hi, Dad. Yeah. I was... It, oh, go ahead. Oh, no. I, I was just going to say that's what I love about comedy. Well, I went uh, a couple years ago, probably, I don't know, right before the shutdown, I went to a John Christ uh, show. And at the end of John's show, and if anybody's listening and doesn't know who John Christ, he's like the number one Christian comedian right now. But I was listening to him, and at the end of his show, he kind of shared, some people will come to him and go, John, what's what's the purpose of your show? Like, what's the ministry behind it? What, why Why are you doing this? Almost as almost in a legalistic way, like what's the purpose of comedy as a Christian trying to share Jesus. And he had shared that after one of his shows, a woman came up to him thanking him, saying that she had been suffering with breast cancer for however many years. And she had been through the ringer with chemo treatments and surgeries. And she had said, thank you for letting me forget all about that for 30 minutes Mm. and he said that's the point that's the ministry letting you forget just some of the nastiness of life just to be able to escape for just even if it's just for 30 minutes to have a good laugh and i like what your tagline is on the well-versed comedy and that is it's okay to laugh i invented it god (laughs) you know and i i think there there are some people that think it's it's not okay to be funny and i don't understand why that is just maybe some legalism from the past. I don't know. But before we wrap up, I want to ask you, as it is Suicide Prevention Month, what are some signs coming from your personal experience? What are some signs if a loved one that we have is suicidal? 
from my perspective, if there's somebody that is, is that never lets anybody truly in, mm. if you can see that everybody, even the most uh, even if it's a spouse, a parent, a child, if you can see that there is something that's, that's not right because there's always like an arm's length distance, and like there's a wall there. Mm-hmm. And also, if it's somebody that is constantly making a joke about everything. Um, now, there are, there are people who are in a good state of mind that they're just full of that joy. That's okay. Um, but those people who are full of joy would appreciate just the fact that you cared enough to ask. But if you see somebody that is constantly making a joke about everything, even even inappropriate things, you ask them, pull them aside and say, hey, are you okay? Hmm. And then, you know, dig deeper. Don't just take, you know, don't accept the first answer. Uh, one of the things that I like to do is, like, if I suspect somebody's, you know, not, not okay, say, hey, are you okay? And then they'll say, oh, yeah, I'm fine, blessed and highly favored. Mm-hmm. Uh, and you just dig a little deeper, like, no, really. Is, is, that, is that the surface answer or is that the real answer? Mm-hmm. And just be willing to ask. And the people that are healthy will be like, you know, would appreciate that you love them enough to ask. And the people that are not in a healthy place will appreciate that you care enough to ask. It's better to ask and, and be wrong than to not ask and, and be right. Mm-hmm. And also, if you suspect somebody is struggling, and they're, they're the physical signs like, you know, weight loss or weight gain that, that was not attempted. Like if, you know, they just stop eating and they lose a lot of weight or if they start eating to cope and they gain a lot of weight and it's, you know, like a quick change, mm-hmm. ask uh, and talk and be willing to to upset them because like with me, God was willing to let me be upset. So sometimes it's okay to let them be upset if you love them enough to make sure they're all right. Mm-hmm. The the biggest thing is to pray. If you suspect that there's something off or something wrong or something missing, pray for the person. Lift them up and and ask God to reveal it to you. Maybe you know, God can give you a word of knowledge. God can give you a prompting to ask a certain question or to say a certain thing uh, just to kind of pop that bubble that they've got going on as, a, as their defense mechanism to get past that mask. Mm-hmm. Um, and something that I always do, if I could, for every interview I give, is I always offer my email address as a, as a sounding board. Okay. So if there's somebody that's out there that is struggling with, with depression or thoughts of suicide, and you're like me, you're embarrassed or you're ashamed, and you don't feel like you can go to your family or friends, you need a stranger that, that would kind of understand what you're going through, then you can just send into my email. It goes directly into my phone, and outside the hours that I'm asleep, I can answer immediately and just kind of walk through that darkness with you instead of, and it's not going to be like I'm copying and pasting scripture or mm-hmm. giving pat answers. So if anybody needs to just vent and have a, have a shoulder to cry on, an ear to talk to, they can email me, Dave at GiftsTheNumber4Glory.com, mm-hmm. Dave at GiftsForGlory.com. And uh, I'd be honored and blessed to to be able to just walk through the darkness with you. So I I like to offer that with every interview because for me, it would have been a lot easier just to talk to a stranger that will be willing instead of talking to family or friends. I don't know what it is, but sometimes it is easier to talk to somebody that's completely removed from your situation. And and they're not Mm -hmm. kind of giving you the stereotypical pat on the back of, oh, you shouldn't feel that way because this is how amazing you are. And sometimes you just don't want to hear that. You just need to right. 
to talk. And you kind of answered my next question, and that was how can others help with prevention? And you just really kind of shared that. Just asking how you're doing. And, uh, and before I forget, I will put your email in the show notes. So if someone wants to contact you, that they can. But it kind of takes me back a few years ago when, oh gosh, what was it, 2012, 2014, when Robin Williams, I mean, one of the funniest mm. men of all times, all of a sudden you wake up and one morning, you know, you see all over social media that he's taken his own life. And you wouldn't have thought this man who brought so much joy and laughter to other people was doing what you were doing and hiding behind his comedy. And if maybe one person would have just pulled him aside and said, no, really, how are you doing? You just wonder. You wonder, would he still be here? I, I don't know. But tell me really quick, how can we find you? Tell me about your podcast and how we can follow you. You're on Facebook. Are you on Instagram? Yes, Facebook and Instagram and uh, experimenting with TikTok a little bit. But uh, you can find our comedy team at Wellversed, C-M-D-Y, mm-hmm. on all the main uh, socials. We try to keep it uniform, and Twitter only has so many characters, so we did at Wellversed, C-M-D-Y. And you can find Gifts for Glory on uh, Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter at Gifts, the number four, Glory. Okay. And uh, that's where you can find the podcast, the comedy, get in touch with me if you have any questions. Or, again, if you want to just vent and, and get stuff off, uh, off your chest, mm-hmm. uh, I'm always available. And I'll make sure that I put all of those socials in the show notes, and I'll make sure that I put Wellverse Comedy, because you do travel and do shows. Mm-hmm. Right. So yeah, if anybody uh, is interested, they can contact you through that website. Is, absolutely. Is there anything else that you would like to share with our audience before we go today? Um, there is no shame in asking for help. And if you need it, ask for it and find somebody that you can trust. Or again, like with me, find a, a stranger that's been through it. Mm-hmm. But asking for help is not a sign of weakness. It's actually the strongest thing you can do. Okay. Good words. Well, thank you so much, Dave. I appreciate you being vulnerable, you sharing your story. And you're right. There is no shame. Just especially if you have a church body that loves Jesus and is full gospel. That's what the church is for, right? To be able to be to be there for you. And if you don't feel that way, then make sure you email Dave today. (laughs) Thank you very much, Dave. Absolutely. Thanks so much. Thank you for joining me on this week's episode of the Meek on Purpose podcast. And make sure if you are interested in getting a hold of Dave, because maybe you are struggling in some way, shape or form with suicide. I have his email in the show notes. And I also want you to get a pen and paper because I want to give you the focus on the family counseling consultation line. This is a free number with counselors and pastors able to help you if you are dealing with suicide. So here is that number one eight five five seven seven one four three five seven. That is one eight five five seven seven one four three five eight. They are open Monday through Friday, six AM to eight PM Mountain Standard Time. 
And if you are not following me on social media, make sure you give me a follow and a like on Instagram, Facebook, as well as TikTok. And there you will find all the latest updates about my book, The Real War on Women, that is debuting next month. And I just released the book cover last week. It is absolutely beautiful. I am so pleased with it. And next week, I will give you what is on the back cover and more details that are to come. Don't forget to download, share, and subscribe. And remember, you were created unique on purpose. You are loved. And because of Christ, you have been made worthy. See you next week.